You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Welcome back, Young and Profiters. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and today I'm excited to bring you a Yap Classic. Today's episode is a combined episode of the two-part series with best-selling author and expert in human nature, Robert Greene. I interviewed Robert back on episode number 43 and 44 in October of 2019. Robert has written six international bestsellers, including The 48 Laws of Power, The 50th Law, which he co-wrote with rapper 50 Cent, and The Laws of Human Nature, amongst others. I loved this two-part series when I recorded it, so I combined it and shortened it so you guys can listen, learn, and profit faster. This was actually one of my first podcast episodes that went viral. I got so many new subscribers from this episode, and till this day, it is one of my all-time favorites. In this episode, Robert and I yap about how to decode the laws of human nature, including the law of irrationality, which explains why humans actually aren't rational creatures and how knowing this can help us understand human behavior, as well as the law of narcissism, which states that we're all narcissists. And once we accept this fact, we can transform self-love into empathy to improve our relationships. In addition, we discuss how we can determine someone's character and Robert presents three questions to ask when trying to judge if someone has a strong or weak character. So if you're looking to understand human nature and use it to your advantage, this episode is for you. Before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to invite you to my brand new Slick Text community. That's right. Now you can text me directly. If you join this community, you'll get texts from me, updates on the podcast, and exclusive Yap content like giveaways and discounts. It's super fun, and you don't want to miss out. Just text the keyword Yap, Y-A-P, to my short code 28046. That's 28046. Or visit the link in our show notes. In fact, if you love Yap and you want to make my day today, review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, and then take a screenshot of your review and text me the picture. Text me the picture to Yap, Y-A-P, to my short code 28046 or just visit the link in our show notes. I can't wait to see your review or your text and I hope you join the Slick Text community. All right. Well, here's my conversation with Robert, a recap of one of my all-time favorite shows on Yap. And I think you guys are going to love it. You are a master of human behavior. Some even call you a genius of human behavior. You have a canon of best-selling books, including the wildly popular 48 Laws of Power. You've partnered with mega rap stars like 50 Cent for the 50th Law. And most recently, you released a book called The Laws of Human Nature. And it outlines 18 laws that defines who we humans are. Would you just explain the purpose and reason behind the book and what you wanted readers to gain from it. 
Well, we all kind of are interested, in, most of us at least, are in improving ourselves. We realize that we have faults and weaknesses, gaps in our knowledge, etc. So we read self-help books, we read books on psychology, whatever. But it's my opinion that none of these books really ever change you, that basically you remain kind of a prisoner of these patterns in life that you can't get out of. And reading a book isn't really going to help you. And so what my purpose is in writing this book is to tell the reader, okay, look, let's bring this down to basics. Your success in life and your happiness depends on your ability to get along with other people, to be able to understand them on a deep level, to be able to recognize people who are toxic and avoid them, realize how to get along better and be more persuasive with the people you're dealing with so that they will follow your ideas or be interested in what you have to do or what you have to say so that you're not always kind of butting heads with people's resistance. So life gets easier and you're not always having these emotional dramas. And also you need to understand yourself better because a big problem in life is you don't really understand what motivates your own behavior and you do things kind of unconsciously and you get in trouble. So given that, I want to get at the root cause of why we misunderstand human behavior. Mm -hmm. And my idea is that the people you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day level, and you can think about it right now, you can think about your boss, you can think about your colleagues, you can think about that audience, the clients or customers you're trying to reach. You have assumptions about them. You have a kind of a shorthand, sort of easy snap judgments, prejudices, prejudgments about who they are, usually based on your own desires and wishes. And I'm trying to make the point is that you're not really seeing people for who they are. And when you operate in life without knowledge, when you operate kind of based on half ideas of who people are, you're going to make terrible mistakes. You're going to come out with a product that doesn't resonate with people because you don't understand their psychology. You're going to offend your colleagues without realizing it. Mm. You're not going to get people interested in financing your ideas because you don't know how to appeal to other people's self-interest, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to make this book a game changer. I want to really, really show you at a deep level what motivates human behavior. So I'm exploring 18 different facets of human behavior. A lot of it is, let's be honest, a lot of it's sort of negative things that we can't control, forces inside of us that govern our behavior that are kind of unconscious, such as our need to constantly compare ourselves to other people and think of well, what they have and what I don't have in comparison to them, which causes all kinds of problems in this era of social media. So I want to make you aware of these things that are inside of you that are motivating your behavior, and more importantly, how it's motivating the people around you, mm -hmm. so that you can finally operate in life with enough knowledge. It's never going to be perfect. You can never understand people perfectly. But the thing about human beings is we have a tool. We have this amazing tool, which is what I would call empathy. We have the ability to think inside of other people, to imagine what their life is like, to imagine what their experience is like, to imagine what it means to come from a totally different culture or to be a different gender or whatever. And by doing this, we kind of expand our knowledge and we gain a sense of intuitive feel for other people. And this amazing tool that you have, and I explain in the book where it comes from, is like you're not using it. It's like a muscle that's not even being developed. And I'm going to give you tools for honing this empathy, for this ability to 
put yourself inside the shoes and skin of the people that you deal with. That sounds incredible. And for my listeners out there, I read the book and it is like truly the ultimate self-development, self-help guide that is out there. (laughs) It's great. Let's begin with the title of your book, The Laws of Human Nature. To me, that almost implies that we're like animals. You know, we have predictable instincts and habits that are unavoidable. And today with so much advancement and technology, we kind of forget that we're animals and what you call our lower selves the part of us that reacts on instinct and emotion as opposed to rationality. The first one in your book is the law of irrationality. We think we're rational, but we are not. Why is it true that today we have never been more enslaved by human nature and that we are mostly irrational beings? Well, you know, human beings evolved over the course of hundreds of thousands of years ago, well before the invention of language, it's arbitrary to say when, when this evolution began, you can go back to primates, you can go back further and further to mammals. But let's say, you know, two million years ago, we started evolving in the form that we are now. And in that period, you know, we were feeling certain pressures from the environment. Human beings, compared to like other animals in Africa where we emerged, were kind of weak. We couldn't run very fast. We had no claws. We weren't as strong as chimpanzees, and we were prey to a lot of animals like leopards, etc. And in many different moments, human beings almost became extinct because we were small in number and we were so physically weak. But the strength that we developed was being a social animal and learning how to cooperate on a much higher level. And in this process of dealing with a very harsh environment and in learning how to get along with other people and operate in a band, that could be very cohesive and powerful. Our brains developed, and our brains developed in a very particular way. And one of these particular ways is emotions. So animals obviously feel emotions, most definitely fear. The fear response is something that even reptiles have. It goes back millions and millions of years. But we humans evolved many more complex emotions than animals experience. And basically, the reason for these emotions that we developed was a form of communication so that before the invention of language, if we felt fear or joy or excitement, it would, it would communicate itself on our face and other people would notice that. And it was a way to communicate without having to say anything and to help us in our survival so that if we were suddenly being stalked by a predator we could all respond together very quickly because we saw the fear that people were expressing, etc. So we've all had the experience where we think we know what we want. We have a plan. We have a strategy. We've spent time working on it. And then suddenly under the stress of the moment or the pressure from other people or a change in circumstances and the emotions overwhelm us and all our ability to think straight and all our planning goes out the window because emotions are much more powerful than the thinking part of us. And then the other thing is, when we have emotions, they're not connected to the other parts of our brain. In other words, we think in terms of words, but the emotional part of us, the the limbic system where emotions emerge, are not connected to the language part of our brain. So you never really know You never can really quite verbalize the way you feel. You wake up one morning and you're depressed and you don't know why. 
And you can't rationalize, you can't put it into words. It just happens. Or you're angry, and you think you're angry for some reason, but then if you think about it, there's probably, you don't really know exactly why you're angry. That's because these two parts of the brain don't really communicate well. So basically, your emotions are largely governing your behavior. They're governing your decisions on what you buy, particularly. And economists and marketing people understand very well that your buying behavior is mostly emotional. It's governing your career decisions. It's governing so much of what you do in life. So I'm trying to make the point, understand how your brain operates. Understand that you are not born rational. Understand that most of your decisions, most of your planning, most of your strategies stem from wishes and desires instead of actual thinking and strategizing and planning. And if you can realize that, then suddenly you have the ability to step back and go, all right, I'm not going to let my emotions push me around. I'm going to be aware of the role that they're playing in my decisions. And I'm going to try and introduce a little more thinking into what I do in life. So that's sort of, I'm kind of giving you a long explanation mm -hmm. because it is perhaps the most important chapter in the book. But that's sort of the reasoning of why I'm trying to make you more aware of who you are and what really is governing your behavior. In the past, you have said that we have a higher and a lower self. Like previously mentioned, the lower self is the one that behaves like an animal, whereas the higher self understands our innate human behaviors and tries to overcome them and use them to our benefit to optimize our relationships and social standing. Do you think that it's truly possible to transcend human nature and become fully rational, like a fully rational being? Or do you think that you know, you're always going to have these emotional tendencies and animalistic behaviors? Well, there's no transcending human nature because it is our nature. You can't get out of that. And I'm trying to make a big point is the fact that you think that you can somehow transcend, that you can be different from other people, that you are not irrational, you're not narcissistic, you're not aggressive, is an illusion. The fact is you are very much a prisoner of human nature. But with that awareness, by being aware that you're not rational, that you have to learn how to become rational, you can then use the actual tools that we humans have for much greater purpose. So you can use your human nature. You have human nature, and it can be used for destructive purposes, for those animal things that you mentioned, or it can actually be channeled into very productive things, which is becoming part of that higher self. So like those moments in life where you overcame your own kind of selfishness and you felt like you were actually thinking about other people and acted on that, you felt that higher self operating. It's part of you, and you liked it. Or when you actually, instead of being lazy and playing video games and taking the path of least resistance, you actually got your act together. And for six months, you worked really hard on a project and you made it come together. You felt great. You felt, wow, this is part of me. This is a potential part of me that's incredibly powerful. So the same energy that makes you aggressive and push people around can be channeled into something productive. It can be channeled into being persistent. It can be channeled into fighting for a just cause. You must take what you're given, the tools that you're given, and simply use them for better and higher purposes. But there's no escaping human nature. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. 
I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. How about we talk about the law of narcissism next? This probably was my favorite topic in your book. We often think about narcissists in one particular way, people who are selfish and absorbed with themselves and in love with themselves. But you say it's more complicated than that. And all humans are narcissists by our own nature. Why is that? Well, it's a little bit complicated, but basically I explain where this comes from. And essentially... In your earliest years, when you were three or four years old, you don't even remember this, but you had to go through a period, depending on your parents, this is about most people with their parents, where you had to deal with a situation where you're not getting as much attention and recognition as you wanted from your parents. Perhaps there were other siblings. Perhaps they felt you were getting older and you needed to become more independent. And at that moment, psychologists talk about it, it's a very frightening moment because suddenly you have a sense of you're almost being abandoned into the world. You're not getting what you used to get so easily. 
And so what we humans do in that moment, in those years, is we develop a self, an image of ourselves, and it's a self that we can love, we can appreciate. We like our own thoughts. We like our own bodies. We like our own ideas and our own preferences. And so in those moments when we're not getting attention as we get older, we can always fall back on ourselves and go, well, I'm really actually a good person. I don't need to have constant attention from other people. I can go back into myself and be entertained and find that validation and recognition on my own. I don't need other people. As you get older, this sort of self gets more and more pronounced. It becomes kind of like this hard shell. And so you'll notice, if you look at yourself in life, you'll notice that you tend to like people who are like you. You like people who look like you. You like people who have the same values that you do. You like people who like the same movies that you like. It's because you're basically a narcissist. They're giving you a mirror reflection of who you are. They're giving you that sense of validation by reflecting back to you your own sort of image of who you are. And so nobody escapes that process. If you didn't have a self to love, you would be at the mercy of other people. You would constantly feel empty. You would constantly feel the need to draw attention from other people by acting out, by being dramatic, by playing all kinds of games. And so my idea is that you are self-absorbed. If you look at yourself honestly, when you're talking in a conversation with people, half the time, more than half the time, you're not listening to them. You're involved in your own thoughts because you think that your own thoughts are more interesting than theirs. You're involved in your own anxieties, your own plans, your own ideas, because you think that that's more interesting than other people. You are self-absorbed. Get over that. Stop trying to be in denial. And once you recognize that you have this tendency, you can then begin to overcome it. You can then begin to, I say, make this reversal where you turn that kind of self-love and inner fascination with yourself towards other people. And you can start becoming more fascinated in what other people have to say than in your own thoughts and your own ideas. And so empathy, as I mentioned before, is an incredibly powerful tool. It gets you out of yourself. It gets you out of your own little world and it kind of, it's refreshing and energizing. So it's not only is going to make you a better social person to learn how to deal with your own self-absorption, it will also help you mentally and creatively and make you a happier, more fulfilled person. That's super powerful. And so for my listeners out there, the key takeaway is everyone's a narcissist, even if you're a little bit narcissistic and you should transform your self-love into empathy. So that's a great lesson. Could you explain to us what this dark side is and why we shouldn't repress these feelings and how we could spin it to be used in positive ways? Well, once again, we have to kind of look at early childhood. If you can remember your own childhood or if you've had children yourself, you know that children are like these complete selves they experience all sorts of emotions. They experience love towards their parents and can be very angelic and giving. At the same time, they can be very angry and very selfish and very domineering, and they want everything for themselves. They can be very nice and sweet, and they can also be incredibly aggressive and vicious. Even, you know, boys and girls, I include in that, have aggressive impulses. They feel envious. They want the attention that the sibling is getting. And they're not sitting there 
managing their emotions. They're not trying to play a certain self to get what they want. They can't control it. This is who they are. They feel the, all of these certain emotions. They're a complete person. And then what happens as you get older, as you get five or six or seven years old, is you're being taught, well, that behavior isn't polite. That isn't what you should be doing. You really need to tamp down those aggressive impulses. You need to get along better with people. You need to be sweeter and nicer and appear to be someone who is very cooperative, who's very loving and giving. And so as you get older and you feel these pressures, all of that natural energy you have, all of those natural impulses that are built in, that are wired into the human animal, you repress because your whole goal in life is to please other people as you get older. You want them to see you as this kind of perfect, great person who's not insecure, doesn't have these problems. And so you kind of craft a mask that isn't really who you are. And you wear this throughout your social life. And it can get you very far in the world. But those emotions that you have that you've repressed in childhood, they don't go away. They're lingering in you. And what you'll discover, even with you or with other people in life, is that suddenly that dark side, that shadow, will spring to life when you least suspect it. You'll get angry, and you don't even know why you get angry. You will fall in love with exactly the wrong kind of person for you, and you don't even really know where this came from. You will put all of your money in some investment because other people are doing it. You don't even really know why. And this is that dark side that's coming out because you haven't come to terms with it. It's not part of you anymore. It's something you've repressed. It's a shadow. And in moments of stress or in moments where you're not very happy or you're not completely feeling fulfilled, that shadow will emerge and it will come out and it will cause all kinds of weird behavior. And so my point is, I want you to be aware of this dark side that everybody carries with them. You know, it could be, this dark side can be that you're an extremely competitive, ambitious person. I know I have that problem. And you're not comfortable with it because you don't want people to think that you're this, this scheming, ambitious person. But I'm trying to tell you, you need to come to terms with it. You need to accept that part of yourself that you repressed, that child within you that felt these strong emotions. And you need to look at it squarely. And you need to see that this shadow, this dark side, actually contains incredible amount of power if you learn how to tap into it. So, I mean, I, I think a lot about great athletes, for instance. I think of somebody like a Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan. These are people who are extremely competitive. And if they didn't do this competitive instincts in basketball and sports, they might get involved in things that weren't very good or very productive. They'd be in a lot of trouble. But they channel all of that into something very powerful. So you can take that ambition and you can channel it into making it the best possible product, into destroying all of your rivals in business and making gears the number one seller for whatever it is. Or you can... I tell a lot of people who are interested in the arts, using your anger, using your frustration, using that dark side is really powerful to bring out in your music or in the books that you write because people are really excited by any expression of the dark side. Look at all the movies that we watch and all the television shows. We're fascinated by Machiavellian characters, by the con artists, by people who seem to get away with things. We're fascinated with it because it's a part of ourselves 
that we haven't come to terms with that we're repressing. So in your artwork or in your music, you need to bring that out. You need to bring out that edge in your own pursuits in life, in your own ambitions, etc. And I maintain that getting rid of that kind of hypocritical need to be so saintly will actually make people more interested in you because you will see more human and more authentic. Mm. That's a really good point. It's kind of like Gary Vee who like curses and things like that, but people love him. So That's a good point, yeah. Related to this in some capacity is character and the fact that you say that character is a primary value that we should evaluate people on when it comes to like working relationships and things like that. So how can we determine if someone has a strong or weak character and how is the law of compulsive behavior related to this? Well, it's one of the most important things in the book because throughout life, you're going to have to choose people to work with to be a business partner, to hire, to help you to work on a project, or you're going to be choosing someone to be your intimate partner on some level. And making the wrong choice can destroy your life. It really literally can. If you choose somebody that has a toxic personality, if you choose a deep narcissist and get involved with them, it can take you years and years to ever recover from the experience. So I want you to be constantly judging people, not for their charm, not for their intelligence, not for their resume, not for how much you like them, but for their character. And character is something that is deeply engraved in a person. It means these are the patterns that they have in life. This is who they are. This is their nature in the deepest sense of it. And so I talk about there are people with strong character and there are people with weak character. And finding people with strong character, particularly in, in a business sense, is the most important thing that you need to do. People of strong character, what are the parameters that kind of determine the two? The biggest parameters is stress. So somebody of weak character will tend to fall apart under stress. They'll get emotional. They'll act out. They'll become this kind of child. And you'll suddenly, wow, I didn't realize that person had that problem. I hired them. I thought they were really smart and reasonable. And suddenly you realize that they're not like that. Whereas this person of strong character rises to the occasion they keep their emotional balance. They're able to not react. They're relatively calm to the circumstances. So that's one barometer. Another barometer is how they treat other people when you're not looking. So a person of weak character, they'll pretend to be very nice to everybody around them. They're very nice to you. But behind closed doors, there's the meanest a-hole to their secretaries, to their assistants, to people who work for them, to their spouse. They're two-faced. They wear one face for you and another for the world. And you need to see that. You need to see what people are like when they're not necessarily around you. People of strong character don't need to do that. They're consistent with that. They treat everybody the same way. They treat assistance with dignity, and they're not abusive. And you need to see that. The other thing is how well people can take criticism. A person of weak character can't stand the slightest bit of criticism they take that as if it's a judgment on who they are, and they crumble. Where somebody of strong character, you criticize them. They don't take it personally. Their first reaction is, how can I learn from this? Maybe you're right. Maybe I can use that criticism to get better. I'm going to work on myself. That's strong character. And finally, how people work with others. Someone of weak character can't work with other people. They can't delegate authority because everything has to be on their terms. Everything has to be according to their agenda. 
They're very weak and selfish. Whereas somebody of strong character actually enjoys giving other people credit, enjoys working with other people, enjoys the team process. And so that's another sign of a strong character. Knowing this language of how to read people's character will save you so much emotional drama in your life and will help you avoid the wrong choices. And believe me, I've worked as a consultant for people in business for over 20 years now. And that's the number one problem that they have is they hire the absolute worst business partner or the absolute worst lieutenants and they realized it later and boy, it caused them problems. So this is a very important chapter for people to understand. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Young and Profiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights, and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their big give week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that we love, now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're going to buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands. So that's going to be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and Profiters, you're going to want to grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cashback rates for only eight days. So hurry, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify Magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. 
One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie and you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm gonna like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's move on to the law of grandiosity. Basically, the law says that the more successful we get, the more superior we feel and we get disconnected from reality. In the 48 Laws of Power, you wrote something that resonated with this. There is nothing more intoxicating than victory and nothing more dangerous. Well, not only is success dangerous, but failure is a great thing. Failure is a great way to learn about yourself and it's a great way to improve. If you've ever tried to learn anything like a skill, like the piano or a sport, and you make a mistake or you do something wrong, a red light goes on and you learn, okay, this is what I have to improve. Without failure in life, you would never, ever get to the point where you can actually begin to work on yourself and improve your own defects. So failure is great. Failure is important. Embrace failure. It's the best learning tool you'll ever have. Success, on the other hand, is extremely dangerous. And why is that? Well, whenever you have success in life, whether it's writing a book or starting a business or running for political office, 
Because of various things that I've talked about earlier, about our self-absorption, et cetera, your first tendency is to go, wow, I'm great. I've got the golden touch, you know. I really nailed it this time. People really like me. They really responded to it. It's amazing what I accomplished here. But the truth is, in any kind of success in life, there are contingencies, there are circumstances. First of all, there's luck. You know, if I wrote the 48 Laws of Power in 1980 or in 2016, I don't think it would have sold nearly as well as it did when it came out. So luck and timing play a huge role in your success. Other people, other people helped you a lot in this process. So it's not all you, it's all about you. If I hadn't met that man in 1996 who produced my books, I don't know where I would be right now. Okay, and then also your education, your parents, all these other people who have influenced you in life, you know, your teachers, etc., have helped shape you and given you the skills that you needed, the masters that you apprenticed for. So your success is contingent on all these other factors. It's never just about you. But what happens when you're successful is you tend to forget about all that. You want to take all of the credit. You want to imagine you did everything yourself. You're hungry for that kind of self-validation. You tend to discount all the other factors that went into it. And so I maintain that in daily life, all of us are, let's say, two or three feet off the ground. And what I mean is we walk around with an opinion about ourselves that's slightly elevated from the reality. And studies have shown this. We tend to think that we're smarter and better and more independent than in actual reality. But the discrepancy is never big enough for us to be insane, for us to people go, that guy is delusional, that woman's delusional. <laughs> but success will slowly make you go five feet, 10 feet, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet off the ground, and you'll start losing touch with reality. And you'll imagine that no matter what you do, it's destined to success. So success will feed into these animal type properties that we have. It will distance you from reality of who you are. And your second attempt, your next attempt will probably fail because you won't be so careful. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for those examples. The next law I want to cover is, I believe, the last chapter of your book, The Law of Death Denial. And this one is an example of humans not facing reality. We avoid thoughts about death. We fear death. We're all in this death denial. Why do you feel that it's important to accept our deaths? And how will our lives benefit by doing this? You know, we could all disagree about what is real, about politics, about whether, you know, some people deny there's global warming, although that's kind of ridiculous, but we can argue endlessly about things in the world. But there's nobody can argue that death doesn't exist. It's the ultimate reality. I don't care who you are, you're going to die at some point. And it could be tomorrow, it could be in five minutes. So not coming to terms with that is like turning your back on what it means to be alive. It's turning your back on reality. It's making you into a distorted person. You're not facing the ultimate thing that is facing you in life. And it's causing you all kinds of problems. A lot of times you feel in life, you feel anxious about your life, about things going on, about your decisions, and you don't really know why you're feeling anxious. You have this kind of deep well of anxiety in you. Well, a lot of that anxiety comes from the fact that you're not confronting your own 
mortality. It's eating away at you. Because if you try and repress it, all that happens is that it eats away at you in the form of this kind of nameless anxiety. Whereas the other way of life, of looking at it squarely in the eye and saying, well, you know, my life is short. I'm in my 20s, but I could be dead when I'm 30. I only have so much time in life. And this is the reality. Well, number one, it wakes you up. It makes you more urgent and desperate. I better get things done that I wanted to get to do. I better put that business together or secure my children's future now. I better not keep delaying things. I am on death ground. I better have that sense of energy and necessity at my heels. And the other part of it is, is that being aware of death will connect you to other people in a kind of grander way. Everybody is mortal. Everybody that you know. So look at that person that you sort of take for granted. It could be your spouse. It could be your friend. And imagine that tomorrow they're gone. And with that feeling, suddenly your level of appreciation of them will be much more heightened. But look at yourself. You know, tomorrow it could be all over. So the things that I appreciate now are much more beautiful, are much more heightened. This might be the last time that I look out my window and see those trees and hear those birds. So life has a greater intensity. Colors are more vibrant. The world is more exciting and intense when you come to terms with this reality. Um, and then I kind of connected to what I call the sublime. We humans are the only animal aware of our mortality. And it's the cause of so much of our problems in life, so many of our destructive impulses. And our ability to actually look at death and come to terms with it and accept it and see it as a beautiful thing and as something natural and wonderful is like the ultimate human triumph. It's like becoming truly human. We take our natural fear, our greatest weakness, and we turn it into a strength. And I don't know if you know this, but this particular chapter is something personal to me because... Two months after I wrote that chapter, I suffered a stroke, mm -hmm. and I came within five minutes of dying or within a few minutes of having permanent brain damage, and I survived. And so I can speak from, from real experience what it means to like actually go through death and come back alive and how it changes you. But you don't have to go through that to have this happen to you is the point here. You can actually do it through your thinking and through your daily meditation and through confronting this reality. But it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace and incorporate into your life. Yeah. So it's almost like you're saying accept your death and it kind of helps you like find your purpose, live life with a sense of urgency and appreciate the people around you and things like that. It's a beautiful message. It's, it seems negative, but it's like a truly beautiful message. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Staying on this topic, I know that you have an interesting technique when you meditate that samurai warriors also do that's related to this death denial. Would you share that with us? This is before I had my stroke. I would imagine what it's like the last day of my life. I would visualize here I am in a bed. That's how I die. And this is what it's going to be like. This is how it's going to feel. These are the people that's going to be around me. Or if it's an accident something happens, these are my last seconds, my last bit of consciousness. And it has a different effects. One is it kind of brings the reality close to home and makes it very much a part of your blood and it's in your brain. It's not just an abstract thought, something very real. 
it also really makes you, as I said before, appreciate things that are around you. So as I'm there and I'm going, well, all the things that I take for granted, I shouldn't take for granted because this is what's facing me. It just brings it, it makes it very real as opposed to just this kind of vague, abstract thought. I'm literally conceiving what it could be like, what it will feel like, what will happen to me. And then it's not so bad. It's like a warm thought. It's not a negative thought. And the other thing that it does, and I said this is probably the biggest effect is, all right, Robert, in 500 years, you will have been dead for like 480 years or something. What does it matter today that you're having this problem, that you're worried about this particular issue? It's all very petty. Nothing matters compared to the fact that someday it's all gone. So it gives you a sense of really what priorities of what really matters in life and what doesn't matter. And those, those are sort of the main effects. Now, wasn't that an awesome episode? Robert Greene is like a god when it comes to human behavior. He's just absolutely amazing. And the two-part series that I had with him was one of my all-time episodes ever. And one that I often think back on and cite and reflect on. And I'm super excited that we finally got to revisit it today on Young and Profiting Podcast. What sticks out for me from this episode is our discussion about how we can use the dark parts of ourselves, like the shadow self or our narcissistic tendencies, to our advantage. For example, I have a bit of a competitive side. This is a part of me that I've tried to hide because I love being collaborative and working on teams, and I genuinely want everyone around me to thrive. But sometimes... My competitiveness rears its ugly head. So I realized that this part of myself isn't going anywhere. So instead of just shoving it down, I acknowledge this tendency and I think about how I could use it to my advantage. Now I compete against myself. I've turned this impulse into a powerful tool that actually helps me achieve my goals. I'm always challenging myself to become a better holla than I was yesterday. And I have my shadow self to thank for that. So next time you're quick to shut down an emotion or an impulse, consider how you can harness it to improve your life and accomplish your goals. We can't escape human nature, but if we understand it, it can give us an upper hand. I want to leave you with some thoughts on the law of death denial, that is accepting and appreciating that our time on earth is limited. Now, I know that might sound a little morbid, but just like Robert, a few of our other Yap favorites like best-selling author Donald Miller and former Shark Tank star and serial entrepreneur Matt Higgins also talk about how important it is to process our own death. And if all these super smart, successful people believe in the law of death denial, I think it's definitely worth a shot in terms of trying it. Realizing that we're here for a finite amount of time can really encourage us to make the most out of every opportunity and remind us what really matters. Appreciate what you've got going on and live each day to the fullest. We're all navigating this human experience together, so let's make the most of it. One of the ways that you can do this is by writing your own eulogy. In fact, Donald Miller reads his own eulogy every single morning, and it helps make sure that he's hitting all of his priorities. And with that, we're going to close out the episode. I hope you guys loved this episode as much as me. You guys can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Yap with Hala or on LinkedIn by searching my name. It's Hala Taha. And if you love this episode as much as I did, make sure you drop us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Apple Podcast is where we'd appreciate it the most. And I recommend 
recommend that you go back and listen to Robert's full-length Yap interview. It was a two-part series, so about double the length of this. So if you love this episode, I highly recommend go listen to number 43 and 44. We'll put that link in the show notes. Again, thanks so much for listening to the show and thanks for my amazing Yap team. You guys are doing an awesome job. And this is your host, Halataha, signing off.